What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Literacy Advocate. I'm your host, Timmy Bauer, and my guest today uh, is Jess Redmond. She is a middle grade author. She's the published author of three books, The Miraculous, Quintessence, and The Adventure is Now. And they are for middle grade, so like middle school, yeah? It starts about eight to 12 is typically the range. I would say eight to 13. So okay, gotcha. Third grade through middle school. It's kind of who's, a, who's, a strange term, but. Yeah. yeah, third grade through middle school. Got it. Who's your publisher? My publisher is Macmillan. Nice. Um, Macmillan Children's and my imprint is FSG. Cool, love it. Uh, the topic that we're gonna talk about today is the kind of stuff that, um, that her audience loves to talk about whenever she does an author visit. And then also, because I just started the podcast writing better, I'm going to ask her uh, the questions that I like to ask writers uh, for writing better. So um, this episode will also exist on the writing better podcast, but listeners of the literacy advocate, if you're super interested in uh, just writers talking about writing to make them better writers. Uh, all those conversations are happening on my other podcast, the Writing Better podcast. I don't post every interview that I post there onto this podcast. So there's a lot more interviews about writing on that podcast than there are on this one, The Literacy Advocate. Uh, anyway, with that out of the way, Jess, uh, let's get right into it. So first things first, I want to talk to you about what your author visits look like. Um, why, why don't you just start off just kind of describing what author visits are like from your perspective? Sure. Obviously this year, things have looked a bit different. Um, in the past, when I go on an author visit, I've been invited to a school and I show up and I have my PowerPoint ready and I have bookmarks for everybody and stickers and you know, hopefully some of the kids have read the book or they're gonna buy the book. And you know, it's, it's an exciting, fun time. Um, this year, I've done all virtual visits, and that can be, I've enjoyed doing the virtual visits in part because I can do so many more than I can do live and in person, yeah. um, and I can connect to so many more people, and it's so much more flexible, and um, it's easier, and that's something I want to keep doing. I want to keep doing virtual visits, but it is different because a lot of times you you can't see your audience you can't you know see the kids that you're talking to you're pretty much talking to yourself uh, and that's kind of weird in the beginning when i'm giving my presentation um and then when you do the q a it, it feels a little bit more like a normal school visit but usually what i do i start off and i do a presentation that i call from brain to bookshelf where i talk about sort of how you come up with an idea, how you write a book, and then the whole process um, of the book from getting an agent to getting an editor to the book actually coming out and being in a bookstore. I think um, most people don't know how that works. A lot of kids obviously don't know how that works. I didn't know how it worked until I was going through the process. So yeah. I think that's, um, kids are usually pretty fascinated to learn all the ins and outs of how that goes. Yeah, what um, typically do the kids ask the most questions about or are the most curious about? So there's a lot of different, kids usually are very interested in learning about book covers. They wanna know how the covers are made and okay. they wanna know if I made the covers. That's a yeah. big question I get a lot. Um, they want to how know- How much decision-making do you get to have in the cover process? So this is 
it's a great question because people are usually shocked to find that usually authors have very little say in how their book covers are created and what they look like. Um, my team did send me sort of like sketches. Here's some ideas that you know that the illustrator has. And then they ask for my feedback, but to be 100% honest with you, I don't know if anything I said would have necessarily made. <laughs> like, it's lucky that I loved the illustrations and my illustrator is great, Matt Rockefeller. And I was like, it's amazing. But if I had said, yeah. I hate it, I don't, you know, I don't know. That's really like, it's, it's the art department's job. It's their uh, area of expertise. They're working with the illustrator. It's the illustrator's yeah. job to like interpret the story their way. I bet it's complicated for them too, because they simultaneously want to make you happy, but you're not right. the primary person that they're trying to please. Right. The primary, yeah, yeah the, their, I would say their primary agenda is probably just to put a cover together that will make kids want to pick up the book. Right. And so, you know, sometimes things that a kid might really enjoy, you know, a style or like, like I really didn't want a cartoon feel for my cover. Like there was a specific cartoon style that I didn't like. And I was like mm. really nervous. It was not in cartoons in general, but a very specific style that I was like, your covers are beautiful. Like yeah. They, who's the, they who's the artist? Do you know? His name's Matt Rockefeller. He's fantastic. Um, yeah. He did. He's done all three of my covers and if you oh my gosh the kids holding a nintendo you, switch yeah if you pull it, up, <laughs> it features in the story <laughs> if I love you pull that. up the covers he does like these full spreads like it wraps around to the back and he hides oh, like cool. all these little hints about the story in there like i've i've lucked out i think that's what every author hopes is that they just luck out and that they get paired with an illustrator who just like gets yeah. the vibe of the story that who you know, takes the time to read the full story and really um, interprets it in a way that is fun and beautiful. And I lucked out. So yeah, I think my favorite one, it's hard to say, but I Quint quintessence's cover looks, looks cool, like looks magical and cool. Yeah. Um, and then the miraculous looks like kind of mysterious, like, ooh, what's that? What's that house all about? And that's what the story's about. So he did a great job. <laughs> that's great. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, okay. So what else do kids want to know about when you do author visits? One of the things that I've been really surprised about and that I've built more into my presentations because of how much kids love it is that they love to hear about how many rejections I have gotten yeah. over the yeah. years. They like, I didn't think they would love that. Like the first time I talked about it, I was like, oh, I got a lot of rejections. And then at the end, the questions were like, how many rejections? Who rejected you? What was it like? You know, people are interested in knowing that. And kids, yes. I think it's appealing because I'm coming in as somebody who's supposed to be someone who's successful, someone who's done something important. You know, I wrote a book yep. and yep. then part of my story is how many times I was horribly unsuccessful and you know, didn't make it and didn't do the thing that I set out to do. So I think that, and I mean, obviously there's like a learning component, like keep trying and eventually you'll get it. Um, but it's also, I think humanizing and good for yes. kids to see that like, you know, it, it does take time and effort and you know, maybe sometimes it doesn't work out or it doesn't work out the way you think it will, or it takes longer than you think it will. Um, yeah, I found the same to be true. Like the, 
you're bringing two stories to a school as an author. You've got the story that you're holding, and then you've got literally the story of you trying to be successful at making right. that story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And sometimes the story of you trying to make the story is is more interesting, at least in the moment, you know, yep. if they yep. haven't read the other story. How many rejections have you gotten so far? You know, when I do the presentation, I sort of add them up. And the first time I ever queried anything, this was maybe eight years ago. I had written my first middle grade book. It was a fantasy story. It was like a portal fantasy about a dreaming world. And it was honestly really awesome. And I'm probably going to rewrite it someday because I spent so much time on it. But I wasn't a great writer at the time. Like I had just started and I was good at writing, but I wasn't good at writing a whole book, like stringing things together well and pacing. And, um, and I didn't really know how to write a query letter either. So I had this like massive query letter. It was like, you know, hundreds more words than it should have been. And I had a book that was like way bigger than you want to query a middle grade book. It was like almost a hundred thousand words, which is like really long. Yeah. And, you know, so I didn't know what I was doing. And I sent out that letter to like 20 agents and, you know, all of them either said no or said nothing, which is the hard thing about, you know, querying a project is that a lot of times you get no response. Um, yeah. And then I got desperate and I sent it out to like 80 more agents. Like yes. I literally, I just like went, I, I, got, I found like every agent's name I could find that was in middle grade. And I was like, I'm just going to send it to all these people. I'm sure one of them will like it. And like, no, nobody wanted it. Nobody wanted the book. You know, it was just, it was an easy Do you pass. think that's a good move to do as an author? Or would you never recommend that to anybody? I would never recommend <laughs> it. I would never recommend it. But at the same time, I think, you know, you hear a lot of writers' journeys and yes. there aren't any that are just a straight shot. Not usually. Yeah. I yep. think if you have a straight shot, it's somehow luck and timing and talent and hard work, of course, but like mostly luck and timing have been on your side somehow that yeah. you have written something that maybe is like really relevant in the moment or um, some people really workshop things for a long time. So they are good and they're ready. But for a lot of people, like we're just, we're amateurs and, and we started out just wanting to do a thing, wanting to write a book and wanting yep. to see if we could make it happen. And I think that means that you have a lot of uh, stops and detours along the way and it doesn't go smoothly most of the time. And I think that's yeah. okay. I think that's part of the journey, you know? Yeah. And I look back and I'm like a little bit of a cringe, like all those people that I <laughs> contacted with this like, very unfinished, unready story, you know, that I thought was so great, but does it really matter in the end? Not really, you know, it's just sort of part of, part of the journey, I guess. Have you sent any of those people any more work since that happened? Uh, I, I, I remember you told me your story and I, I don't, I don't remember the answer to this question. You know, I, not after, well, so I did that book and nothing happened. Then yeah. I did a little more research. I got a little bit better at writing. I took a little more time. I, I queried another book and that one got more attention. I got more requests from agents. It was not as much of a huge failure, you know? And I felt like I was moving in a good direction, but I still didn't get an agent from that book. And yeah. so I, then I went and I rewrote that first book 
And when I queried that one, I only, I think I did batches of 10 uh-huh. and I got like 17 full requests, like right away. So That's it was, awesome. you know, it was one of those things where, again, that it was had, timing. How did that you know? feel? <laughs> it was amazing. Like it, because it felt like what I wanted to happen the first time, of course, yeah. but it was so much sweeter because I had wanted it for so long at that point, yeah. you know, and yeah. it felt like, it felt like if one of those first hundred had sort of, you know, took me on, it would have been for a story that wasn't really that great. And they probably wouldn't have felt that strongly about, but because it was a book that, you know, a lot of people obviously wanted that, you know, the agent I signed with was really excited about and was really interested in. It felt like that was the right move. It, like the timing was right. And I didn't have to settle for um, somebody who wasn't, you know, passionate about the story. Yeah, so yeah. What you so, want for an agent, you want someone who's going to really advocate for your work, who's going to be excited about your work, who's going to, you know, be ready to sell it and, um, is just in your corner. Yeah. Um, Was there anything else about your process of getting published? Well, so here, I've got two questions here. One of them is, what about your process of getting published? Were you really surprised by or taken off guard by or had a hard time with, but you've learned is like very, very normal? So that's one question. And my other question is, is there anything else about your process of getting published that was, that you found out was abnormal? It doesn't normally go that way. Well, I was surprised when I sold the book, when, well, when my agent sold the book to my editor at Macmillan, it was, I think it was June, 2017. And they said, the book is going to come out in spring 2019. And I was like, wow, that's like a really long time. You know, so I was telling everybody it's going to be spring, probably like March, 2019. And then I got an email some official email that included the publication date. And it was like July 30th, 2019. And I was, I was like, is that spring? this must be wrong. I actually emailed my agent. I was like, they have the date wrong. It's supposed to come out in the spring. Like this is way too late. And it turns out that spring, that summer is kind of lumped in with spring in the publishing Uh seasons. Uh, So that was shocking to me. I was shocked that it took more than two years from the time that I initially sort of signed with Macmillan to when the first book actually came out. But that is a very normal time span, you know. Yeah. Um, My books since then have come out like with a year in between each. So 2019, 2020, this will be 2021. But that's because I'm sort of already in the rotation. I'm, you know, part of part of the schedule. So, but when you first sign with a publisher, a lot of times it takes a while before your first book comes out. Yeah. Yeah. Was there anything else that was abnormal that you found out like, oh, that's not normally how that goes? Trying to think if there was anything abnormal. (laughs) Could, it doesn't have to be something that happened to you. It could be something that you did that like you were successful in spite of kind of like the like sending out all those queries. (laughs) And if there isn't anything, that's fine. I'm just curious about it. I am always very worried that I'm, I am, I'm not a perfectionist in like my daily life. Like my house is messy. I'm very disorganized. I'm very scattered. But with my writing, I'm very sort of hyper-focused 
And so sometimes when I do edits, um, I think I, I, I always wonder if I'm going like hardcore overkill with my edits because you make uh -huh. changes and then you send it back to your editorial team. And I feel like sometimes they're like, wow, this is way more changes than she really needs to make. But it's hard to know. It's hard to know how much of your process is abnormal because, yeah. uh, you know, you this don't. Is there's no this class is, about it. There's no. This is the whole. Yeah, this is the whole you, reason I want to do writing better. Right. It's because I have no idea. Well, I don't have no idea, but but I I'm learning in real time right. from talking to other writers. What is what am I doing that is normal? Like other writers are doing this too. What do I have yeah. to learn from them? What are they doing that's so bizarre? But I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and it is, you know, I joined um, most most years we'll have like a debut group and so all the kid lit authors ya and middle grade and then picture books usually have their own sort of group um will join up and they'll be like we're the you know my year was the novel 19s and we had like a, a facebook group and we posted things together and we made a website together and so you do learn quite a lot in that way um, yeah. but you're yeah, learning yeah. it in real time as you're all going through that debut year so there's not like a, it's great to have the podcast because there's really not as much information as you would think out there about how the process really works, particularly after you get a contract. There's a lot of information about uh, how to get an agent usually. And then a lot of times that, that's where the information stops. Because mm. um, I guess people figure, you know, your agent and your editor will take it from there. But what have been a couple of the biggest things that you've learned about the part of the process that nobody's talking about? I think uh, learning just the timeline for how a book gets published. You know, a, a lot of this is just sort of nebulous gray area when you when you sign the contract, like, okay, eventually the book will come out. And then, you know, to learn, okay, first you get your big letter from your editor, the edit letter that has all the big issues. And then after that, if you turn that in, you get line edits, which gets a little deeper. And then after that, you go to copy edits and then you, you know, then you get first pass pages and then you get the proofreading notes, you know, just to know sort of all the steps is very. Um, Was any of that really emotional for you? I think for me, the, the most emotional part was when I got what's called advanced reader copies, um, which are, let's see, I probably, well, this isn't, this is just my voice, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> but you can but describe like, it for me. <laughs> it's like a little paperback version of the book, basically. Okay, and it, it says at the top, advanced reader copy. And they mail them out to, you know, booksellers and librarians and people in the business to review before the book comes out. And yeah. so it's your first glimpse of your book, like as a book, you know, with that's printed with your name on the front, with the cover, you know, the title, your cover you know, your dedication is inside, your words are inside. So that that was probably, for me, that was even more emotional than getting the final finished copy of the book uh, because it really represented a big milestone. You know, like this is real, it's going to happen. Yeah. So. Um, I forgot the question that I wanted to ask you next, but uh, I do have some like writing questions that I want to, oh, this is, uh, it was something you said earlier that made me think about the, the editing process. And then that made me think about the drafting process. Like for me, I've noticed that um, the more reckless I am with a first draft and the more brutal I am with the edit, with making edits, the better my final result is. I don't know. What's your take on that? 
I think that is a very good way to look at it. I struggle to be reckless. I am a very slow drafter and I edit as I go, which most people do not recommend. I mean, if you, I've never taken any writing courses. I, uh-huh. you know, I didn't go to school for writing and I didn't really do a lot of like learning about how to write. Uh, but I have found as I've been part of the writing community that a lot of people do have that recommendation of just trying to get that first draft written and just, you know, writing it as fast as you can, not worrying about editing, just trying to like get the words out there and then going back and fixing things up. I don't do that. I have tried to do that, but <laughs> I don't seem to be able to uh, not edit make a write. messy first draft. Okay, I just can't it. do it. So like yeah. by the time I finish my first draft, the book is really almost done. Like it's, it's pretty well polished. Um, yeah. I've read the beginning like hundreds of times, you know, the end slightly less because I, I reread as I go, I fix yep. things up as I go. And, yep. you know, so I might do like one or two more read throughs and then like I send it to my agent. Like I'm like, okay, yeah. it's done, you know? So I have a little bit of a different, process than maybe some people might but I know I'm not alone because you know no, I've seen no, other people I talk say to, I talk to a lot of people yep. yeah talk to a lot of people who say they edit as they go in fact I talked I had did, did an episode with a teacher where he talked about the writing process they teach in school mm-hmm. and he was like it doesn't we teach this very stochotic like first you do this all the way through then you do this all the way right. through and the reality is most writers don't write that way and I was like, I actually had a, a different take on that. I was like, well, I think it depends on the type of writing that you're doing. When I do fiction writing, I'm all over the place with process. Right. But when I do business blog writing, it's, I have a pretty like, uh, you know, plan, follow uh, it exactly kind of process. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Jess, I wanna ask you some of my uh, writing better questions and uh, just kind of talk shop with you as a writer. So my first question is, when did you know you wanted to be a writer? I don't want to say I always knew I wanted to be a writer because obviously when I was, you know, a very young child, I did not. But from the time that I knew what books were and that people made books, I knew I wanted to be a writer. So I, mm. I was, I have like kind of the classic writer story that like I always wanted that to be my career. And I was a huge book nerd. Um, Reading and writing were like the only things I was good at and pretty much my only hobbies, the only things I did for fun. I had like notebooks that I- So like as far back as you can remember? Far back as I can remember. That's always been what I wanted to do. I've always loved reading, but I haven't always known that I wanted to be a writer. I don't think I knew I actually legitimately wanted to be a writer until I was 17. Was there like a moment, like a light bulb moment? You were like, this is what I'm called to do. (laughs) I don't know about that. (laughs) But I I was reading Yertle the Turtle by Dr. Seuss. And I had just been studying Shakespeare. So it was a confluence of things. And I had a little brother who was four. Okay, so I- Okay, so that's why you were reading Yertle the Turtle. Were you reading it to your brother? Well, well, no. It's fine to read Yertle the Turtle when you're studying. I was reading it all by myself. But this is what happened. I had just been studying Shakespeare. And then I was reading Yertle the Turtle just because it was like, it was on the bookshelf and I'm a Dr. Seuss fan. i right. uh, always been a lover of picture books. Okay, I so I'm reading Yertle the Turtle. Sure. And um, 
And I just, because I had just been studying Shakespeare and had to like learn, you know, iambic pentameter and like meter and all this kind of stuff. I was like, I think, yeah, I was like, I think I can do this. I was like, I think I can make a story that does this, that does the same thing that Yertle the Turtle does. And let me write one and test it out on my little brother and see if he likes it. And that's how Billy the Dragon happened. I literally started it the same way Yertle the Turtle starts. Yertle the Turtle is like in the dark of the shade, in the cool of the pool, or I might have it wrong, but it's something like that. So I just literally took that opening and I was like, what, 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 what would I do? And I was like, in the country of dragons where the volcano grand with ashes outpouring rules over the land. And then I just kept going with it and wrote a story called Billy the Dragon tested it on my little brother who was four he sure loved, loved it, it right and yeah. I was just like okay I'm just gonna keep this going so then I just kept adding to it and I did nothing with it until I was 24 and then uh my story is self-publishing entrepreneurial like uh like I, I would like the world to poo-poo on me until I until I can really state success but that's that's probably just my uh, imposter syndrome but uh, yeah. I think so yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> say yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, that's how that's how Billy the Dragon. That's that's. I was 17 years old when I knew that I wanted to be a writer. Um, thanks for turning that question around on me, by the way. I love um, that you said that though, because I think, and something like Dr. Seuss. I have a picture book coming out in 2022, and it is. People think it should be so easy to write a picture book too, and it's really not. I mean, it it is its own craft, and it is. Um, it's complicated. It's difficult to condense a story into those few words and to make it, you know, really have the feel that you want it to have. So, and I'm a huge lover of picture books too. And, you know, there, I have little kids. I read a lot of them and there are some absolutely phenomenal picture books and the illustrations. I, you know, that's been one of the things I've loved about working on a picture book is that, you know, you get to have somebody sort of interpret your words do you do your own illustrations too yeah okay yeah, well that's started, like a whole other level that's i'll never be able to do that but it like started never. as me wanting to grow up and be a professional cartoonist and i thought that i wanted to be like a like a calvin and Hobbes style like uh comic strip cartoonist sure um and i realized when i was a teenager that oh the newspaper is dying uh so this this and you know it's all moved online but right. uh, I think I also at the same time realized that like, I don't know that I've got the same wit that mm-hmm. it requires to be able to do this kind of work. Um, like because the, so the much- great web comics and- yeah. yeah, you're trying to make adults laugh, which requires really good wit, really sharp yes. wit. Yeah. And um, when making kids laugh, I'm not saying that there's not wit involved. I love when I can get a second grader to laugh because of wit, mm-hmm. but um, their humor is, is very different than a typical adult's sense of humor. Not mine. I feel like I'm still stuck in second grade when it comes to humor, but- uh, Which is why it's me. great <laughs> that you write picture books for kids. I mean, I do think there is a level of, not that your your humor is, is stuck at that age, but it's very easy for me to access like the way that I felt when I was 12 years old. Like it's yeah. very easy for me to put myself back into that headspace. Yep. And yep. so I think that's one of the reasons why I was that drawn write to writing the, middle yeah. grade lit. 
I was yep. like, well, that's an age I really identify with. I'm going to, you know. You know, come to think of it, when, when my little brother was around second grade, I had a really close relationship with him. Not that I don't have a good relationship with him now. I love my little brother. But yeah, when he was in second grade, I had a really close relationship with him. And I wonder if like all that time spent putting myself in the mind of his world because he was at that age is the reason, could be part of the reason why I still, it's still so easy for me to put myself in that headspace. I wouldn't be surprised. I've never thought about that before. Man, uh, Jess, thanks for turning this interview around on me. (laughs) 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 What is your favorite thing that you have written so far? Oh man, that's, um, it's very hard to pick a favorite because my, both of my first two books are a little bit more, um, sort of emotionally intense, maybe like they, they go a little deeper, they have deeper topics. Um, the first one deals with grief a lot. The second one has a main character who has an anxiety disorder. Um, I'm also a therapist. That's what I do in my other life. Um, I do it less right now as I'm sort of focusing on writing, but, um, so those two books are very, uh, really are like pieces of my heart. Like I, I just, they mean a lot to me and it has been extremely rewarding and really moving to see how people have responded to them. Yeah. Um, and then I have this next book, The Adventure Is Now, which is a lot lighter and it is a bit goofier and it could be read by a younger audience potentially. Um, and I, love that book too, but for different reasons. I love it because it's a different side of myself that I got to sort of explore and bring bring to light. And I love that book also because, and this might be a fun fact for writers, I wrote that book. That was the second book that I queried that didn't get me an agent. Mm. Um, and I, so I wrote that book about seven years ago. I drafted it really fast. I've never drafted anything as fast as I drafted that one. It took me only like six weeks, which is very abnormal funny? for me. Like how sometimes it's like that. You'll yes. beat your head against one story forever. And then another one just kind of like yep. blows right like, out of oh, you. <laughs> here it is. Here's the book. Go ahead and write it. And it's like, I was just writing as fast as I could. I had like, my daughter was a baby. So whenever she would go to sleep, I would just like sit down and write like, you know, 10 pages. And then like, before you know it, I was done. Um, but that book, uh, didn't get me an agent, but then I brought it back to the, I rewrote it. And really I, by this point I have rewritten it from top to bottom. It really has not stayed the same. It, it wasn't great when I drafted it, you know, it was, it was okay. Um, but it needed a lot of work and through the editorial process, it got a lot of work, but I do think it's, really worth noting that um, sometimes books, sometimes you don't get an agent with a book or a book doesn't sell or people aren't, don't seem to be interested in it. Not because the book is bad or the idea is bad, but just because the, the timing isn't there or the support for the book isn't there, or maybe your writing just isn't quite there. You know, I yeah. think, I think sometimes people think, well, it's the idea and I need to throw the whole thing out and, you know, just start something brand new. And sometimes it's just, you have to stick with it and try something uh, new with that same idea, or you can revive it later. I think that's important too, that, that things aren't ever lost. Sometimes people, I talk to writers and they're like, 
I wrote all these books and nobody wanted them. And I wasted all that time. It's like, it's never wasted. Like you're learning how to write in the process and you can always take that story out later and reinvent it and do something new with it. So. Yep. I agree. I think you can pull a story out of the boneyards and yeah, figure out why, totally. you know, why did it not work the first time? And is there some kind of different spin that I could put on it to right. make it so that other people will like it or that I like it? <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, we're always getting better at writing and you should want to get better. So it's not embarrassing to see, you know, your past work. It just means you're improving as a writer. Except that we're all so good at saying that to other people and we refuse to say that to ourselves. <laughs> that is true too. I'm very good at giving new writers advice because <laughs> I'm like, yeah, don't worry. It's all going to work out for you. Yeah. Um, but I remember going to, I went to one conference, one writer's conference, and I remember hearing all these authors talking. This is when I first decided I wanted to be a writer, um, like officially. I had always yep. wanted to be, but I was like, I'm going to try it. And I remember hearing somebody say that it had taken them eight years to get published. And I remember thinking to myself, they're probably not very good at writing and that's not going to happen to me, you know? And then it's <laughs> like, well, I mean, it didn't take me eight years, but it, everybody's like timetables, luck, you know, it's all, um, yeah. you just have to be patient and be kind to yourself through the process, I think. Yeah. Um, so question I've been wanting to ask you is, do you have something that, uh, is both really short and a really good showcase of how you are as a writer that lives somewhere that people listening to this could access it. Like, like, a, yeah, it could be a short story. Could be a, could be an excerpt that you've posted somewhere. Something that's both really short and a really good uh, example of how you are as a writer. Well, on the Macmillan website, if you go to my page, I have yeah. a page on Macmillan. I right. have an excerpt for uh, at least the first two books have excerpts up. And if you go cool. to my website, um, jessredmond.com, I have like myself reading the first chapter. Oh, nice. Of, of awesome. Both of my books that are out so far. Great. So I Love have it. that. And I have, I have a ton of, I make a lot of things. Uh, I make book trailers that are like a minute long. I make book talks. Um, I always do a teaching guide for my books. So, yeah. um, that's yeah. just one of the things that I enjoy doing and that I feel is helpful for teachers and librarians and people who want to connect with the story. Yeah. Um, Jess, your writing superpower is blank. How would you answer that? My writing superpower, and it's a really hard question to answer, particularly if you're like most writers and you have imposter syndrome. Right. Um, imagine that you weren't you and somebody was asking this question to one of your friends or one of your readers. How do you think they would answer it? Your writing superpower is what? You're really good at X aspect of writing. I think I'm really good with the emotional elements of characters. You know, what do you I, mean? I do have a history of being a therapist. So a lot of my stories are kind of when I read people's reviews or how people think about the book, um, a lot of it is that they really like the way I delve into people's emotions. So yeah. my character's internal states, how they respond to things, you know, where their feelings come from. And that's, that's something that I, you know, as a therapist, I spend a lot of time thinking about feelings and I like talking about feelings and that's always on the forefront of my mind. 
And so my books do include um, quite a lot of exploration of things like that at a middle grade level, you know, at a kid's level, um, but definitely uh, they are, that's an element that I, I, I work to weave in. Yeah. How would you answer this? I, uh, you've realized that if you just put more blank into your writing, more kids react to your work more strongly. So I put more of this kind of stuff into my work and I get stronger reactions from kids. I like to add a little bit more magic. That was something that I, um, you know, when I first started writing, a long time ago, even before I wrote for kids, um, I was always writing sort of more serious fiction that was uh, just like contemporary realistic fiction. And then when I started adding magic, I liked it and the people that read my books, um, that I let read my books, which is very few yeah. people liked it. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's that has been that has been a big difference for me. And this new book that I wrote, I have just went ahead and heaped the magic in because I was like, I'm going to go for it with this one. And um, I don't think, you know, I'm not always looking. There's all different types of books. There's all different yep. and there's all different types of readers. So I'm not yep. always looking to make kids be like, oh, this is my favorite book in the world and I want to share it with everyone. Like I know some people that is the kind of book that they want to write. So um, I do want books that readers feel connected to and strongly about, but I don't necessarily want it to be, um, I don't know how to, I'm not describing this well, but I want it to be a book that they connect with. So, okay. you know, and adding the magic serves as a way, I think it's one of the languages of childhood is magic and thinking uh -huh. about things in a magical way and thinking about the world from a new perspective. And so yeah. I think it helps when I add it to the story, it's sort of leads kids to the story that I want to tell or it makes I it agree. more engaging when I feel stuck uh one of the things that I'll ask myself is what could I do to take this out of the world of reality and more into a fantasy mm -hmm. or super powered or or in to just steal from you magical world like yeah. what could I do like how could I sprinkle it with that or how could I take take the scenario and take it out of that either with like um either like by directly doing that by like changing the characters making them not humans making them dinosaurs or something like that or by um by just like comparing them to uh, something fantastical yeah i like to think of it as it, my books are not strictly fantasy they're usually um a contemporary story with a magical element and so I like to think of it as reality, just with like the volume knob turned up a little bit or with the yeah. brightness turned up on your phone um, through a filter. So yeah. um, how do you develop more funny stuff in your work? So my first book has one character who is sort of a comedic, she's not a sidekick. She is her own character and she's, you know, pretty fleshed out, but she is the main source of humor in the first book, I would say. The second book is uh, slightly less humorous. It's not super funny. There are a few funny moments. Um, and then this third book is, has a lot of uh, humorous moments. So I think it depends on the story you're writing, if you want it to be funny or not. Um, this one, I, a lot of times when I write books, I just go with what I like. 
I mean, I, I, I know people spend a lot of times thinking about what kids like and what they want to hear. Um, but I think when people are the funniest is when they're doing things that make them laugh. Yes. So if I laugh while I'm writing something, I, I'm keeping it in there. You know, I, yep. I so I want I want to be laughing to myself while I'm writing. And I think that I'm, gets back to what you were saying earlier, which is like, if you can put yourself in the mind of yourself yeah, as a 12 year old. you're accessing yourself, but like yep. yourself when you're, when you're young, you know, what, yep. would, would I laugh at this? Like you're accessing your, you know, seven-year-old self. Is this funny to seven-year-old Timmy, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I like, agree. Is, is this funny to 12-year-old Jess? And if I, <laughs> if I'm, that's, I've loved writing this new story because it is, it's, it's funny to me. And that's a different a lot of times I, I'll be honest, I cry while I write my books. Some of them are pretty sad, um, but this one I like laughed while I was writing it. So I that's was like, good. oh, that's a little different, you know. That's Probably good. Probably the next uh, week I'll cry again. You know. My last question for you, Jess, is what's the last thing you did to break yourself out of writer's block that worked? I had a lot of writer's block in 2020. I had a middle grade book that I had hoped to complete uh, that I didn't finish um, in part because I had my kids in the house like 24 hours a day. Um, so for me, I do need to take time where if I'm really, really stuck, I take time where I don't write for a little while and I will read a few books. Um, I sort of recharge my creative energy and I step back. I don't go on the internet as much. I find that the computer is a big uh, creativity waste for me. It's like just the abyss of all creativity. It mm. sucks it all right out. Um, so I really try to limit. Oh uh, yeah, there you go. Let's see your... <laughs> anything, I think anything you do that like when writing starts to feel a little hard, you go and you like do that thing. Oh, yeah. That's the thing you have to stop yourself from doing. And it's so, also YouTube. Um, right. So when I get a little bit bored when I'm writing or stuck, I'm like, well, let me just check on social media and see, you know, or I'll create like a new video or a post about something or I'll promote something. And then I'm like, I don't really need to be doing that. What I need to be doing is writing. Yeah. So um, I try to take a big step back from the, the internet world um, and from my writing itself and sort of recharge recharge yep. my creative self. All right, Jess, I love it. What's the best place for listeners to go to get a really good sense of who you are? And then where, where should listeners try to connect with you? So I do have a website. It's jessredman.com. And I have all kinds of stuff for teachers and readers there. And then I'm on Twitter and I'm on Instagram. My handle is at Jess and then two underscores R-E-D, red. I really regret doing the two underscores. It's like one of those <laughs> and now things you're stuck with it. <laughs> that I'm always like, why did I do that? Nobody ever knows where I am. I, you know, they're always tagging people with one underscore, but you know, it is what try it is this, now. Try this, Jess, try this. Um, try just searching your name and see yeah. if you're the first search result. And I that am. might be the thing that you could tell people instead of telling them your handle. Cause okay. I, I do that. I'll say, instead of saying I'm Timmy underscore Bauer, I just say, just literally type Timmy Bauer in the search. Okay. If you search for Jess Redman, I will come up. I'm the number Boom. one person there. Number one, Jess Redman. I'm the number one, Jess Redman. <laughs> you need a trophy for Somebody needs to make you a, like a plaque. Number one, Jess Redman. 
It's a big achievement. Twitter, I'm really Instagram, proud of it. And Google. You know. <laughs> um, Jess, it's been wonderful talking to you. Thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate you being on this podcast. Thanks for having me, Timmy. It was good to chat about writing. Yeah. <laughs>